Uh, if there are any students that need to be dismissed, get out. But um, I, don't, I think they're already gone. Um, thank you for being here today. I greet you in the name of my Savior. I'm happy to see your wonderful faces. Happy to see um, Tiffany and her little one and Bethany and her little one. Um, welcome to both of y'all. That's, one, that's awesome. Um, before we get into every, I tell you what, let me, let me pray real quick. Lord Jesus, I want to ask you to bless our time today and would you let your seed go forth and may it fall upon soil that is soft and receptive and fertile and uh, that which will uh, see soil that is welcoming so that your seed can go down in us and produce a crop that results in life, abundant life. Um, would you please let that occur in each one of us today and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Real quickly before we get into our study, um, a number of y'all in our church family will remember a, a man that was a part of our church the first few years that we were operating, um, Lyle Phillips. Um, and if you knew him, then you loved him. It wasn't it? You almost couldn't know him and not love him. He's one of those kind of people. And he was that kind of a person. And uh, anyway, he passed away um, a few days ago. Few days I don't know exactly maybe. when it was. Yeah. But anyway, a few days ago, he passed away uh, down in Florida. And um, anyway, they're going to have a memorial service for him, not this Wednesday night, but a week from Wednesday night at the Botanic Gardens from 6 to 9. I think it's sort of a come and go kind of a situation. And so if you, if you knew Lyle and uh, want to go and just say a word of uh, love to his sisters and family, then, then I invite you to do that a week from this Wednesday night. Um, yeah, he was just a very special person. I've never known anybody quite like Lyle. And uh, the word that I've been thinking all week long is just that he was a treasure to the city of Memphis. He was, he represented the Memphis community uh, in a way that made me proud and thankful and happy. And if you didn't know him, I'm so sad for you. It's, it's truly your loss. But uh, anyway, if you did know him, then I'm sorry for your loss and I'm sorry for my own loss. So anyway, oh, and if you have been, pr my mom had surgery Thursday, I guess it was. Thursday? No, no, it wasn't Thursday, it was Tuesday. She had surgery, I think Tuesday, I think it was. But anyway, it doesn't matter when it was. Uh, on her leg and it went great and she's great and uh, but and thank you if you prayed and thank you if you have offered to take stuff to her she doesn't need anything she doesn't even have room to store what she's been given so just keep praying for her and praying for me but anyway just pray pray, pray for her healing and um, uh, but don't take her any food she doesn't need any food okay thank you so much uh, take it to Tiffany and Bethany. They, they could probably use some, and uh, she'd rather them have it than her. So 
Yes, ma'am. I was just going to say, mm. as we transition into the, the, the talk, um, that I really appreciated the song that the um, praise team sang today about um, God's goodness mm. is running after us. That's such a beautiful thought. It's a biblical thought. It's a beautiful metaphor um, for the pursuit of God's love in our lives. And as they were singing and as I was listening, I was reminded of the contrast of that in the work of the, the evil one in our lives who doesn't do that, but rather lurks, waiting for whom he may devour. The language there is so different and so in contrast to one another. I think it's mm. noteworthy that Dang. the evil one waits for us and jumps out and, and wants to eat us like a lion. That's the, the language. But God's just, just right there, running after us, saying, love is following you. I'm here. I'm here. Maybe just slow down a minute and let me engulf you. And I don't know. I was moved by the music today. And so um, that kind of fits the message yeah. a little bit. Yeah, no, it does. Um, but it's a good word. Um, he's running after us, but are we... Will we slow down long enough to let him catch us? That's the deal. Um, that's, a good, that's a good image for us to think about. Last week, we started a study dealing with the parable of the sower, and it's in the first three Gospels. The, the, the Gospel that I chose was just Luke chapter 8, but it's the same story in all uh, three of the Gospels. And we... we uh, talked initially just about that one of the challenges of our lives is learning to hear and listen to other people well. And the problems in our world, the problems in our city, the problems at your work, the problems associated with those that sit around your table at your house. In one way or another, the problems in our lives can be traced back to a problem with listening, problem with hearing. We, we, we're so busy wanting to talk. We're so distracted. We're... we're there's so many things going on in our lives that try to thwart our ability to hear and listen. It's a real challenge. And it's been a real challenge since Adam and Eve. Nothing's changed there. And um, Jesus talks in this parable about having ears that can hear. Having the ability to hear and listen and understand well. That is a true challenge for all of us. And uh, especially if it's a challenge in my ability to hear and understand you, how much more so in my relationship with God Almighty, trying to hear Him and understand Him. It's not that He's not speaking. It's, am I able to hear? And that's what we're going to talk about and finish up today. Uh, Lord willing, I made the declaration last week that there is nothing that you and I will ever do with our lives that is more important than getting to know the Lord Jesus Christ who is written about 
in the Gospels. To the degree that I understand him, his life, his teaching, his values, his priorities, his way of relating to people, his ways of relating to his father, to the degree that I understand those things and embrace those things to the same degree I'm going to experience life, real life. And we talked about last week just for a minute the fact that Jesus was known for many things. He wore many hats. But probably his most significant, in fact, I don't say, no, probably, his most significant hat during the three and a half years that he ministered is he was a teacher. He taught people. He spoke to people words of truth and life. And his favorite way of teaching people was the use of parables. And I would suggest that if you and I want to get to know Jesus, we have got to get to know his parables. And if you've read through the parables at all, you might be thinking, well, Larry, that's easier said than done. Those are a challenge. And they are a challenge. And that's what we're going to try to, I'm going to try to, or we're going to try to help us lower that challenge just a little bit, uh, hopefully by the end of our study today. But uh, it is important, if we're going to understand Jesus, that we understand His parables. Um, he spoke parables to people for many reasons. One of those reasons was it was a unique way to communicate with an incredibly diverse audience. Rich, poor, educated, uneducated, sincere, insincere, friends, foes, religious, irreligious. He had such a range of people that he was speaking to. Parables had a unique way of cutting across all of those lines and distinctions. And it actually polarized people, if you will. It, his parables had a way of, for those that were sincere, those who were humble, those who would listen to his words with a desire to hear from God and to understand what was true, with a desire to embrace that which they heard, the parables were a tool that Jesus used to draw people in to draw people further in if you'll notice when Jesus would teach these parables it would very often say later that day those who stayed behind the crowds that initially heard each time he spoke most of them would leave they would they would hear and leave but then certain people would stay behind and say Jesus what did you mean Jesus, I don't understand that. Jesus, could you explain that better? To those who had that humble heart, Jesus would then give them more. And to those who were there for ignoble purposes or reasons, who had hearts that were not humble, hearts that were prideful, they would hear these parables and go, what's that about? That's ridiculous. That's crazy. That makes no sense. I'm leaving. That's stupid. 
He's stupid. And those that did not have humble hearts, it would actually repel them. And it created a distinction between those who wanted to know him and wanted to know him better and those who really just came because they had like a good show. I hadn't been, you know, Ringling Brothers hadn't been by in a while. Jesus is doing a circus. He's healing people. He's raising the dead. He's, he, he's got a feeding program. I'd like a little bread, a little hungry. I'm a little bored. I, I, I don't mind. I've got a need. And for that crowd, the parables actually drove them away. And so that was a purpose. Another purpose that we talked about real quickly uh, last week was that the parables reveal God's design actually for all of His Word. And I said that God wrote through human beings, through, we don't know who wrote most of the books of the Bible, uh, but He wrote through people words that were not, for the most part, straightforward. They were not words that we were supposed to just make a list, a to-do list. Uh, okay, I do A, then I do B, then I do C. Jesus spoke words. Yahweh spoke words in the Bible that by design were to be taken home and contemplated and thought through and wrestled with and discussed And brought to a point where you begin to grow in your understanding. Oh, this is what God is saying to me. This is how God wants me to apply this in my life. And how God wants me to understand this and apply this to my life could be very different than the way God would want um, uh, 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 Esther to hear and understand and apply His words to your life. I'm not saying that it's... uh, I'm saying what I'm saying, that God wrote the Bible in such a way that it's not to, driving down the interstate with a, with a breakfast burrito in one hand, with your, driving with your knee uh, on the, under the steering wheel. No one would and, ever do that. You know, no, they wouldn't. And uh, you've got the Bible playing on, well, not on cassette, we Bible no, on, what do you call it? Streaming. Whatever it is, you've got the Bible playing, and you're listening to some Bible verses, and you're halfway dog cussing the dude uh, the, beside you on the interstate, and you get to where you go, well, I read my Bible. Did you get it? Did you hear that? No, I didn't hear I didn't really get anything. Huh. Shocker. Because that's not the way God designed the Bible to be approached. It was never designed to be approached in a rush or looking for a list of rules. That, that's not the way the, the Lord wrote. The, it was designed to be pondered and considered and read and reread and reread and reread and discussed and wrestled with and over time being exposed to the truth and the light of God's word it begins to get in us and it begins to change us for good and that's one of the purposes of the parables is to show us that to help us understand that um Anything you want to add to that? Just that that's a great point about people coming to, even in biblical times, coming to to Jesus with a certain expectation. You know, I demand healing. I demand bread. You have to do, you did this for her. You got to do this for me. That kind of expectation. Um, 
always, that, that kind of demand of God falls flat. Yes. Whereas those that come for healing, I mean, excuse me, that, but those that come in humility and say like that guy with the, the daughter that was sick, he, and Jesus said, yeah, I'll come to her house. And he said, no, 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 all you have to do is just, I just want you to say the word. I just, those that come in, in humility to hard texts versus those, that, those of us who often come with demand, if God doesn't do this on my timeline, mm -hmm. then... And that's it. That's a um, good word. Is, is important here. That's a great word. Coming into the presence of God's word with humility. Ooh, I wish we had the whole day to talk about that. But just, you know, you talk to people, oh, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't read the Bible. Well, why don't you believe the Bible? Why don't, well, I, you know, and they'll immediately go to those verses on, well, I don't believe the Bible was created in six days. I don't believe in the flood. I don't believe in David and Goliath. I don't believe, and they, they go to these, the, the most extreme, you know, I never hear in, in 43 years of pastoring, I've never once heard anybody say, I don't believe in the Bible, I don't read the Bible anymore because I have failed at living up to its challenge to love my enemies. I've never heard anybody say, I've rejected that religious stuff because I have, I'm so consumed with selfishness that I go through my life focused on me and me alone rather than doing what the Bible says, and that's to focus on the needs of the Lord. I'm, that's not what I ever hear. That's not why people turn away from the Scripture, because they have spent time pondering and wrestling and trying to internalize the things that... Who cares how many hours the six days or the flood being... Who cares about those things? That's not why people turn away from Christianity. Anyway, that's for another day. Last thing I want to say about the parables before we make two comments about this parable in particular. You're going to have to go home and think about this. And if you love me and trust me at all, love me and trust me enough to go home and ponder what I'm telling you. If I'm wrong, then you can pray for me and I'll try to do better. Um, but I, I want you to go home and ponder it at least. One of the reasons that people struggle with understanding the parables of Jesus is that they have been taught or drawn the conclusion that the parable's primary purpose is to teach us how to live good lives, how to do better, how to be nice, how to help the poor, how to say no to bad stuff and yes to good stuff. And those are all worthy uh, things to do. But that's not the purpose of the parables. The parables were never designed to teach us how to live a better life. Hear me one more time. This is huge. The parables... Now, Jesus did speak on other things. He didn't always use parables, right? But the parables were never designed by Jesus 
to be used to challenge us to live nicer, better lives. The parables were always, every one of them, had a very specific purpose. And that was to reveal to us what the kingdom of God was going to look like. And if you and I will approach the parables, this parable in particular, but every one of the parables, there's somewhere between 30 and 50 parables. If we will approach the parables with the understanding, oh, as I read this parable today, in my quiet time, I'm going to get an understanding of what the kingdom of God looks like. And if we can get that, that was the number one topic um, uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 4. It says this twice. Jesus began to preach everywhere. What did he preach? What did he teach? Repent, for the kingdom of God has come. A few verses later, Jesus went everywhere teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus' parables addressed one primary topic, and that was the kingdom of God. And, simple, and basically what the parables teach us is this. God sent a king to the earth, and that king came to establish a new kingdom, and everybody on the planet is invited to participate in this kingdom. God sent a king, this king came to establish a new kingdom, and everyone is invited to participate in this kingdom. Jesus did not come to offer us, and the, oh, oh, excuse me, and the kingdom that Jesus came to establish, he's establishing on the earth. Please, please don't leave here today and perpetuate this absurd belief that the Bible, it's a great belief, the only problem is it's not in the Bible. And it really messes up things for a lot of people. Jesus didn't come to the earth to hand out tickets to heaven. Who wants to go to heaven? Woo, I do. Here's your ticket. And when you die, when Lyle passed away, I can't believe we can't remember when he passed away, but whenever it was. Maybe Thursday or Wednesday. Wednesday Thursday. or Thursday. Whenever it was Thursday. Okay. When Lyle Phillips passed away on Thursday, Thursday afternoon when he drowned, he did not go to heaven. That's not where he went. When my dad passed away, when Shirley's dad passed away, they did not go to heaven. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to establish a kingdom that all three of those men, they believed that the king God sent was King Jesus. They believed that he was establishing a kingdom, and he still is. And they are participating in that kingdom. That's why Jesus continually said things like this. He said, God's kingdom has come. In Luke 17, God's kingdom is among you. God's kingdom is in your midst. Jesus' prayer. And where it says, your king, Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth. 
God's establishing a kingdom and he, he began it when he sent Jesus, but he's establishing that kingdom on the earth. Jesus' parables reveal what this kingdom looks like and they're designed to force us to ask the question, do you want to participate? Because I want to just tell you right now, most people in Jesus' day and most people in our day, they don't, they don't want to participate in the kingdom Jesus is establishing. That's the real question. Do we want to participate in the kingdom that Jesus described in the parables? And the answer is, for most people, no thanks. Jesus, let's just run through a few. The parable of the mustard seed. Okay, it's one of Jesus' parables. What, how does that go? The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Okay. What, I mean, what does that idea that the kingdom of God is a mustard seed, what does that convey? What does that communicate to you? Well, I'm not sure this is where you're going, but what it does for me is it's small. I mean, the, the, a seed is small. It starts small. It starts small. Okay. It's, it's, um, it, needs other, it, it needs other things to grow. It needs water and soil and, I mean, it needs things to grow. It, it, it grows slowly. It doesn't grow automatically. If you put a mustard yeah. seed or any other seed on this table right here, in a thousand years it would still be a seed. There are other things that influence it and that cause it to germinate and sprout and, it's and grow. Yeah. It, it doesn't, and it it goes just very doesn't produce slow. just like that. You would think Jesus would say the kingdom of God, it's like a sword or like a club or like a boulder, and it's crap, like a, one of the, you know, those movies where the meteorites come in toward the earth, and they send out all, all the spaceships to try to blast the meteorite to keep it from destroying the earth. You would think that, the, that Jesus, Jesus understood meteorites. You'd think Jesus was, you know, the kingdom of God is like a meteorite that's speeding toward the earth, and man, it's going to bust through the atmosphere, and bang, hit the, dead, the, the earth, and when it does, it's going to rock everything. But that's not, why Je that's not what Jesus compared his kingdom to. To a little seed. It, it's almost, it goes without being noticed. And eventually produces fruit. Eventually it changes the, the literal uh, surface of the earth. And it ultimately produces fruit. The kingdom of God is the parable of the sheep and the the lost sheep and the lost coin. What's God's kingdom going to be like? It's going to be a place where when people wander off, God begins searching for them. It's a right. running after me. The goodness of God is running after me. That goes perfectly with the parable of the coin, the lost coin and the lost sheep. When people get out of sort, they wander off, they get in bad places. What's God doing? He's mad at them. He writes them off. X's their name off the list. No. What's God doing in the lives of the people of the world? He's searching. He's running after them. That's, that's what God is doing in his kingdom. The parable of uh, the prodigal son. 
What's, what does the kingdom of God look like? It's a place when people do wander off and get in bad places. They're always welcome home. No matter where they've gone or what they've done or how long they've been gone, in the kingdom of God, people are always welcome back. The good, parable of the Good Samaritan. What's the kingdom of God look like? It's a place where when people have real trouble, they can have an absolute confidence that God is going to come and help them. But who does he send? How does God fix people, help people, rescue people, deliver people when they do fall into terrible times? He does miracles. No. He sends the servants in the kingdom who are busy living their lives and doing their stuff. But when they're confronted with need in the kingdom of God, God's subjects say, oh, whatever I'm doing isn't as important as what's right in front of me. One of God's children is hurt and I'm going to stop everything. Busy, busy Larry. Stop and help if you're a part of my kingdom. That, if you didn't know him, that's what Lyle Phillips did so that's exactly well. That's exactly what Lyle Phillips, thank you. <laughs> yes, Lyle was as busy as he could, but he always had time for hurting people. The parable of the unforgiving servant. What's the kingdom of God look like? It's a place where the king gives crazy, unreasonable, ridiculous forgiveness to people when they blow it. And it's a kingdom where the servants of the king are expected to do the same thing. And we could go on and on and on with all the different parables. I think of the parable of the, you know, the, 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 the landowner, the king, if you will. He goes in the morning and he hires people and they, they work all day and then later in the day he hires some more and later in the day he hires some more and later in the day he hires some more until the last hour of the day he hires one final group and they come and they work one stinking hour. What's the kingdom of God look like? It's a place where God gives us purpose, reasons to live, things to do, and he notices and he rewards. But it's also a place where just <laughs> for no reason at all, he just pours out unbelievable grace and blessings on people at the most random, unexpected times. And it's a place where Everybody else in the kingdom rejoices that that happened to someone else and not to them because they can remember that it has happened to them at other times in their lives. Oh, that we would read the parables with, a, with a, uh, an understanding that they reveal what the kingdom of God is like. And it's a kingdom that is offered to everybody. Regardless of who you are, what you've done or not done, what you believe or don't believe, 
The kingdom of God is offered to everyone. But real quickly, I got five minutes. Lord help us. Um, I got to answer these two questions. How do you get it? The kingdom's offered to everybody. But how do you enter God's kingdom? Go back to this parable of the four soils. Now we could spend all day long evaluating those four soils. The, the, uh, the soil that said, no, no thanks, don't need it. The soil that said, yes, 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 for a little while. The soil that said, I really want to add that to my already full life, and I want to make it a part of my life, but there's a lot of other things that I'm loyal to as well. And the soil that said, Jesus, I want you, and I want your kingdom, and I want you to be my king, and I'm going to follow you, win, lose, or draw. We could focus on all four of those, but the two things that stood out to me in this parable that I want us to think about, simply this. I think six times in this parable, in Luke, Jesus uses the word hear. It's like the one who hears. It's like the one who listens. And I would just suggest to you and to me that to enter the kingdom of God, to participate in the kingdom of God, to let the kingdom of God get in us and on us and change us, it demands that we make listening a priority. We enter God's kingdom, we experience God's kingdom by listening. That's what Paul says in Romans 10, isn't it? Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. There's, there's a connection between us hearing God's Word, which is what Jesus calls the seed, as I listen to that, and I let it get into me, as I ponder it, I wrestle with it, I discuss it, it begins to get out in my life and to change me. You've told me so many times about your, you know, when you, if you go to Shirley's uh, class at St. Mary's, you know what you have to do when you walk in the room? She's got a basket sitting on her desk. And every girl that walks into that room, you know what they have to do? Tell them what they have. Put your phone in the basket. Now, are you an anti-phonite? I am not an anti-phonite. Uh, do you not? Have you decided to destroy all phones? Nope. No. Nope. So why would you have an aversion to girls having their phones with them during your class? What's the problem? The problem is obvious. If you're checking one thing, you can't listen to the main thing. Ah, so... And I'm not so, calling my lesson the main thing, but I am calling the text that we're studying the main thing. So, you value the girls hearing you so much that you help them remove distractions to hearing that. That is correct. And not only that, I've been stricter this year than ever before, so it's good. Um, but 
what would happen before is people would come in and they would, as I was getting ready for class, look at their phone, last minute thing, whatever, and not talk to one another. Now that we insist that they put it in the basket, guess what happens? Everybody's, like we do here, talking to one another in the five minutes. They don't want to be quiet when the lesson begins because they've got community. community. Huh. Could there be application to how we approach the Word of God? Again, am I driving down the road, listening to a Bible verse or some dude doing a little Bible devotion, but I'm flying down the road, eating a Big Mac, driving, flipping people off, trying to multitask 50 th and I don't get it. I'm just not getting anything down deep in my soul. That must be God's fault. No. By design, to hear what's most important, we've got to remove those things that are not most important. Those of you, I think of like, I don't know whether Amy and Bethany and uh, yeah, Ann and all those are in the back or not. I can't see back there. But, but let me tell you something. This applies to dinner time. To experience family life like one day you'll wish you had experienced it. You got to remove distractions. You got to remove distractions so you can hear one another. For us to hear God, He's never going to yell. He's not going to force. He's not a bully. He's not shoving. He's not cramming. He speaks. And he longs for us to hear because it's in the hearing of his words to us. That's, where our, that's when that gets down in us and it begins to produce a crop and it changes us. But we've got to still our souls and our spirits and our environment so that we can hear God's voice. Second way we enter the kingdom of God, you need to hear me. <laughs> hear me. We don't just need to hear God. We need to embrace and do what we hear. Learning spiritual truth means nothing. Learning spiritual truth does nothing. That's why Jesus says at the end, how does he end the parable? He says, um, but the seed on the good soil stands for those with noble and good hearts who hear the word and they embrace it. And by practicing it, they produce a crop of a hundredfold. Entering God's kingdom being changed by God's kingdom, participating in God's kingdom, that is the result of us not just hearing about it, but obeying it, doing what we know God is telling us to do. That's why Jesus says in John 13, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, just people, there'll be people saying, just say, Lord, Lord, these people will not get into heaven because you must do what you know is God's will. In Matthew 7, a little further, he says, the one who puts my teaching into practice will have an unshakable life. 
How much Bible knowledge you got? How much Bible knowledge do you, do you have? We know we're supposed to live life giving thanks, forgiving, serving, being generous, staying away from things that we know are totally inconsistent with, with Jesus and His values and priorities and embracing those things that Jesus, that do reflect His priorities and values. We know these things. But how many of us have got somebody in our life, we hate their guts and we hope they rot? How many of us drive by need after? We, we know what the Bible says about generosity. We know what the Bible says about praying about all things. We know what the Bible says about fear and anger. Living life is a giver rather than a taker. We know these things, but do we embrace them? It's in the embracement. If that's a real word, sorry. Um, uh, it's in embracing these things. That's where we move from being an observer of the kingdom of God to being a participant in the kingdom of God. I didn't know you were going to say that. And to I me, didn't either. The, the difference between an observer, or a difference between an observer and a participant is that an observer, a watcher, kind of like a, a person watching a football game, is critical. You shouldn't have done it like that. Look at that church. Look at that. Whereas, I could do better than that, whereas an, a participant understands the workings or wants to or tries to, and there's humility in that. I don't understand why that happened, but I'm willing to understand. Yes. yes. Versus. Well, it's a difference in somebody. I mean, every, every lady in this room has had somebody tell them something who's not a mom. Difference in a, a mom talking to a mom versus just somebody talking to a mom. It's a totally different conversation when we have embraced and we're participating in that which we're discussing. Nobody can read the parable of the four soils and not stop and ask yourself the question, which soil am I? Am I the soil that says, no thanks God? Am I the soil that says, oh yes God, for a little while? Am I the soil that Yes, I believe, and I, I love Jesus, and He's important. But so are a lot of other things. Which soil am I? Which soil is you? We all ask. We can't help it, right? Maybe there's a better question. Where in my life is each soil reflected? Where in my life am I telling God no? Where in my life was there a day when I, man, I wouldn't miss a day without reading my Bible. I wouldn't miss a day without prayer. I wouldn't miss a, I stopped and helped people in need. I forgave people. I, 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 those things were important and I can remember when I did them faithfully. But that was a long time ago. Where in my life 
Have I got so many things that are important that Jesus has wound up having his little corner? And it's a good corner with a good view. But it's just a corner. Just a corner. Few of you in this room would know by experience that I tend to walk up to people all the time and I'll say, Chuck, what's God been teaching you? Colin, what's God been teaching you? Rachel, what's God been teaching you? What's God been saying to you? And that's not a bad question. But I wonder if there's a better question that I ought to start asking. Fred, where in your life is God speaking to you and you are seriously practicing that, working on that, trying to implement that? Could that not be a better question? Where in my life? It's not just what I'm learning because Bible knowledge does nothing unless when I hear it, I go, dead gummit. I hadn't been doing that. And I need to start. Or, I've been doing that and I need to stop. Where is God speaking? But how am I responding to that which He is saying? I think that's what God wants us to think about today. Anything else, friend? Love you. We're going to end our service today by celebrating the Lord's Supper. Um, Rachel, John, you want to come help me, please? Adam and Sarah, would y'all come help me? If y'all can stop shivering long enough, don't shake the cups out of the tray. <laughs> I'm sorry about the being cold. Shame we don't have a ministry to Eskimos, then we'd be perfect. But uh, thank y'all. We eat and we drink symbols of our Savior's body and blood. And we do it as a way of practicing of declaring I do believe that Jesus came to establish a kingdom I do believe he is the king of this kingdom and I I'm beginning to understand what his values and ways are and I want to embrace those I want to follow those I want that to be how my life is defined he has sowed his seed into my heart. And maybe not like it should, but it's taken root. And it's produced life. And I've experienced that life, and I'm grateful for that life. So we eat and we drink just to declare to one another, I believe that Jesus is that king. And I believe he came to establish a kingdom and he started the establishment of that kingdom in me.
if that is your, I can testify to you that that is the truth in my life. Every, all four of those soils are reflected in my life. So I'm happy and thankful for 25%. And I'm ashamed of the others. But it's better this year than it was last year and the year before and the year before. And I give thanks to the Lord for His grace and patience. If God has established His kingdom in your heart through your faith in what the Lord Jesus did on the cross, then I invite you to come and to eat and to drink and to give thanks for that salvation. You come.